the focus of our continuing journey through Lent this Sunday is on I am the good shepherd. And we're going to read about that in John 10, actually following right on the heels of actually the same story as what we read last week. John 10, starting this week at verse 11 and reading through verse 18. So John 10, 11 through 18. Listen then for the voice of God. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the flock, the sheep, and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it right back up again. And this command I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're a few weeks into this series now. We've covered Jesus as bread. We have talked about Jesus as light. And last week, Brian explored the oddest image yet. Jesus as a gate, a door. In this I am statement, I am the good shepherd, is a close companion to the gate imagery that we explored with Brian last week. It's the same conversation, actually, that Jesus is having with the Pharisees two parts of the same message. But when we come to this companion image of the gate, well, this one's just a little bit more familiar to us. In fact, Jesus as good shepherd is kind of a a core common image for talking about Jesus. Even someone who hasn't grown up in the church has probably got some kind of image of Jesus with his long robes and holding a lamb and a shepherd's crook somewhere nearby. (laughs) It's almost as if we've trapped Jesus in kind of a rendition of Mary had a little lamb, and that's all we can get. 
which makes it kind of extra hard to hear this I am statement, this image, this metaphor, with anything like fresh ears or a bit of an angled perspective. Our familiarity with it can dull us to the message. So as I settled into this passage, settled into this image of Jesus as the good shepherd this week, with this very well-known story, this very well-worn story, I was actually struck by the different ways, in the space of a relatively small story, that the good shepherd is understood. First, there's the Pharisees, how they understand the good shepherd. We're we're pretty quick to leap to Jesus as our good shepherd that we kind of gloss right over how this was actually received by those who first heard Jesus' declaration of, I am the good shepherd. Our, Our reading ended at verse 18, but if you still have your Bibles open or on your phone, read the next two verses with me. So we ended at verse 18, but we're going we're gonna to continue to read uh, verse 19 and 20. It sounded really nice, right? And then the Jewish leaders who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed. He is raving mad. Why listen to him? And, and then there were others, and... and who are saying, well, I mean, these, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon, right? I mean, can, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What we too often take to be a fairly benign and gentle image of Jesus provokes accusations of demon possession and being raving mad from those who first heard his words, I am the good shepherd. These words bring us predictable comfort. But for the Pharisees, it sounded like nails on a chalkboard. It set them so on edge. And it's not because the shepherding image was revolutionary or radical. These Pharisees were well-versed in Scripture. They could recite Psalm 23. It was as precious to them as it is to us. They knew the Lord was their shepherd. They knew Ezekiel 34, where the Lord God claims that he will be the one to take the flock and bring them home, binding up the wounded, finding the lost. They knew the comforting words of Psalm 95 that we often use to bring us into worship, reminding us that we are sheep of his pasture. The imagery was familiar. It was beloved. It was well-known. Sheep and shepherd, as as the relationship between God and God's people, that was well-established. And and they could all probably preach pretty good sermons on that imagery in the synagogue. But what made them spitting mad with rage... What made them hear this as nails on a chalkboard was that this upstart country bumpkin rabbi from Nazareth was pretending and inserting himself into that relationship between God and God's people. 
And to go even further, Jesus wasn't just doing that, so raving mad, he's proclaiming to be God. He was also expanding the idea of what the flock is and was. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus expanding who gets to be considered part of the flock. And the Pharisees have actually, just before this story, kicked out from their religious community the the guy that Jesus healed, the the blind man that Jesus healed and gave sight to. They, They went to investigate that healing that Jesus did, and... They kicked him out after he was saying Jesus healed him. I think this guy is the Messiah. And they were like, you're out. Get out. You do not belong here anymore. And then, just a little bit later after this story, it's, it's, after, it's after Jesus has raised Lazarus. And the religious leaders actually plot to kill Lazarus after he's been resurrected because too many people are following Jesus because this dead man is now alive, and they would prefer him dead. They would like to kill him again. He's causing too much trouble. Pushing out of their religious community, pushing out of the flock. All of Jesus' acts of love and shepherding looked like sin and blasphemy to the Pharisees, to these religious leaders. They they couldn't stand for a good shepherd who welcomed in those they did not approve of. I am the good shepherd. Nails on a chalkboard. Second, there's the wolves in the story. Yes, I'm going to talk about the wolves. They, They have a part to play, too. The wolves are circling those tasty little mutton chops. They're hungry, eager for a quick kill and an easy dinner. And then a wolf sees a hired hand tending the particular flock they want to eat. And the wolf gets excited because the hired hand. Hired hand values his life more than that of the sheep. So this is going to be an easy one. Knowing the hired hand will run. Knowing the sheep are the wolves for the taking, he attacks. But when the wolf sees the shepherd, it's different. The most famous fighting shepherd we know of in scripture is David. David was tending his flock. Scripture says, protecting his father's sheep. He was fighting off bears and lions that tried to attack the flock. And these fights and victories actually readied him to take on Goliath when Goliath threatened God's people. David says as much to Saul when Saul's a little skeptical of this young teen shepherd coming to him and wanting to take on a massive enemy soldier. And this is what David says to Saul. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it down and rescued the sheep from that lion, that bear's mouth. 
And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the bear, from the paw of the lion, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. To the predator, to the wolf, the lion, the bear, the shepherd proves to be a fierce warrior, ready to die to defend the ones that belong to him. And like David before him, Jesus is a shepherd, not a hired hand, protecting his father's sheep, laying down his life, rescuing his flock from the wolves that circle around. A fierce defender who plants his feet firmly, stands his ground against all that would harm those that are his. That's how the wolves see the shepherd. Then there's the sheep. They are known by their shepherd. And they know their shepherd. They recognize his voice. They follow where the shepherd leads. It's pretty simple, pretty basic. But here, Jesus isn't just a shepherd. He's the good one. Even, even when Yahweh in the Old Testament, the Lord God, the great I am who I am, is described as a shepherd in the Old Testament, in Psalm 23, in Psalm 95, in Ezekiel, God is the shepherd. Hands down. Good was never added. I mean, it was implied God is a shepherd, not like those bad ones over there leading Israel currently. In comparison, not the bad ones. But here, Jesus is the good shepherd. The good one. And, and the Greek word here is kalos. I don't bring Greek out often, so you know it's got to mean something when I do, okay? The Greek word is kalos. And it has more meaning than just kind of this flat, moralistic, good or bad distinction. Kalos means true. It means right and noble. It can also mean something is as it should be. Kalos means beautiful and precious. When I think of the sheep looking at the good shepherd, I, I think of the moment my mom saved our dog, Bandit. Yes, my parents' dog is named Bandit. My folks live on a farm. It's a, got a big pond. And in the summer, this pond is stocked full of fish, and there's blue herons on the banks. And we love fishing in it. But in the cold West Michigan winter, it freezes over pretty solid. It becomes indistinguishable from the rest of the field. And a few winters back, my mom was in the house, about to do the dishes at the kitchen window, which looks out um, on the pond. And in this usual white blanket of snow that she's used to seeing, there was a dark spot 
in the middle of the pond. The ice was broken and you could see the dark water. And then she saw a bandit. His head just above the water, pawing at the ice around him. And he couldn't get out. My family are not sheep people. We are dog people. Our dogs are pretty precious to us, so this explains what my mother does next. My mom shouts for my dad, drops the dishes, breaking some, I'm sure, and runs to the pond. And on her way, she grabs a shovel, and my dad grabs a rope, and she starts breaking the ice as he ties a rope around her waist. And she goes for him breaking that ice and the cold water to get to get to Bandit. Yelling to him, I'm coming, Bandit! Hold on, I'm here! And I imagine that dog. I imagine Bandit, alone and scared, coming to the end of his strength, coming to the end of the strength to keep his head above water, to try to get out even. Hearing my mom's voice and seeing her coming for him. She must have been in that moment the most beautiful and precious thing he'd ever seen. For the sheep who hear the shepherd's voice, in moments when they are scared and alone, coming to the end of their strength, unable to save themselves, and almost slipping into despair. How good and precious and true and right and as it should be, the voice of the shepherd. I'm coming. I am coming. Hold on. I am here. That's the sheep. Then there's still the father and how that father understands the good shepherd. Jesus says the reason the father loves him is that he lays down his life for the sheep. And that can be misread. As if the act of dying makes the father love the son. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus mentions his own death. Starts to talk about it, to to walk towards it. And he grounds his death and his resurrection. He keeps those two things together. In his and the Father's love. For each other and for the world. Not as a cause of that love, but as a consequence of it. For God so loved the world, the Father gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but might have life. The Father sent his Son not to condemn the world, but to save it. Jesus will go on to teach both in words and with his actions 
that there is no greater thing in all the world than to love one another. And he will show in his words and in his actions that there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for those one loves. Which is why the Father and the Son get to work on this divine rescue mission, planned and motivated and executed out of love. Out of love the Father has for the Son, out of love the Son has for the Father, and out of the love that both of them have for the world. The way the Pharisees see the Good Shepherd, the way the wolves see a shepherd versus a hired hand, the way the sheep see their shepherd, the way the Father sees his Son. We may have grown indifferent to this I am statement through over-familiarity and overuse. But this image of Jesus and the promises bound up in it, it, it proved precious to the earliest Christians. In the first centuries after Jesus' death and his resurrection, before followers of Jesus were known to wear crucifixes around their neck or put nativities up in their home at Christmas, the earliest followers of Jesus painted and tiled mosaics in their homes and on their graves of the image of Jesus as the Good Shepherd. A good shepherd with a lamb on his shoulders, his flock around them. They had to hold to who Jesus said he was when it was hard and they were persecuted. And they had to hold on to who they were because of who he is. The sheep of his pasture and the flock under his care. So today, today may you know and trust the good shepherd who brings all of his sheep into the fold. Even when it challenges and stretches our notion of who fits and who doesn't. Today may you know and trust the good shepherd who protects his father's sheep and fiercely defends us all from wolves. Wolves that hound in whatever form they come and the harm that threatens. Today may you know and trust the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name, who comes to our rescue when we are alone and when we are scared and when we are out of strength and we are at the point of giving up. Today may you know and trust the good shepherd who is beloved of his father and who reveals to us the fierce and the unrelenting love of God for us, for each of us by name, and for the world he created, the world he has redeemed. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our good shepherd, may we hear your voice today. 
Help us to follow you ever more closely as the ones you love, as we seek to follow you, as we seek to resemble you in the world you love. Amen. Amen.